Hey, well, welcome to the Jewish Road Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm here with Ronnie Boy. Hey, I am back. And that's daddy to you. <laughs> back? Where'd you come back from? Back. We're back from, I don't know, we've been gone for a little bit. Oh, they don't know that. They don't know. They oh, don't okay. know. It's fine. We haven't been gone. Disregard all of that. Yeah, we've been here the whole time. Where We're have here. they been? Where have you guys been? Yeah. Right? Where, where, yeah, where have they been? That's exactly what I'm saying. It's Did been a while. you say that? Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, uh, this is the Jewish Road Podcast, and we are here to talk about this this gap between the Jewish people and the church. Um, and what we're really trying to do is is come together. We, we really stand right in the middle of, of both of these, right? Well, th- there's a reason we talk about such an unpalatable subject, right? Is it unpalatable? Well, it, it can be, yeah, because, uh, you know, we have friends in the church, and uh, they've been in the church their whole lives, and they think the church is it. Yeah. And, of course, we've been Jewish, and we have not been in the church, and all of a sudden we come into this whole other realization, and we say, wait a minute, where do we fit into all of this, and what happened over the years? That's right, because we we go, I mean, I grew up in uh, like a Calvary Chapel, and we're there, and and you must have thought, well, where's all the Hebrew, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, I I grew up, uh, you know, I went to Hebrew school, I uh, went to synagogue, and it comes around September, and you're all, how come Chuck Smith isn't doing any Rosh Hashanah services? Yeah. <laughs> right? Why are they meeting on yeah. Sunday instead of Saturday? Yeah. They, don't, they yeah. don't know about things like Shabbat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we want to talk about. We want to talk about uh, the, you know, the church is referred to in the scripture as the ecclesia. That really means the called out ones. Yeah. But the question is, is it so Jewish... I should say it's so non-Jewish, it started Jewish, but it's so non-Jewish that the question is, how did we get here? Yeah, if the disciples were to show up and you brought them to a church today, right, you get Peter and Paul and and you get Matthew and, you know, all these guys from that, that first century, the, the guys who were hanging around with Jesus quite a bit, yeah. say, hey, it's a Sunday morning, <laughs> let's go to church. They're all, number one, we're going to work, it's Sunday. Number one, they wouldn't say Sunday, they say it's Yom Rishon. There, there you go. Number two, they would walk in, they'd be greeted by the ushers there at the door, they'd walk oh, in, boy. they'd hear a little bit of, you know, yeah. Hillsong United. It doesn't happen like that in the synagogue. No, it's not. They, like they would look around, they say, oi vey. Yeah. So this, this you know, broadening chasm that has been taking place, it, it really has been... A, a long time in coming, but it's not just, it's not just that things are different. Um, there's actually a wedge that has been driven between the Jewish people and the church. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not easy to talk about. Um, and, and really what, what the issue is, what the issue at hand is that there is an anti-Semitism that has taken place. Um, and we, we know about anti-Semitism, it's the hatred of the the Semites, the Semitic people, the Jewish people, but it's it's this this hatred that exists even within the church. Yeah, which f- feels unfathomable to even say. Yeah, and, uh, and and that's why we we need to deal with this subject. We are not trying to offend anybody. Uh, Most of the time, we offend everybody. We're trying. On the other hand, we're trying to offend everybody. There you go. Um, and, you know, when we give this uh, message concerning Jesus, Yeshua, uh, our, 
to our Jewish people, uh, they get offended uh, at us also. But the point is, is that as, as we consider this topic of the ecclesia, as we have referred to it, the church, um, and looking at a little bit of church history, we need to realize some, some basic underpinnings of all of this, I think, and uh, some of the things that we need to uh, think about and consider is the fact that Jesus was a Jew. Um, those who first followed him were Jews. Uh, he's, and again, I don't mean to be offensive about this, but he selected only Jews as his disciples, uh, his earthly chosen environment was within first century Judaism, and because of this, the roots of the Christian faith are really firmly planted in Jewish soil. Um, yeah, that was, uh, Jerusalem was the center of what, uh, you know, has come to be known as Christianity in the early decades of the church. Paul was a student of the great Rabbi Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, uh, and he appears to have remained an observant Jew his entire life. Uh, so there was really a uh, very vibrant uh, Hebrew Christianity, if I can say it that way, uh, developed in Judea during the apostolic period, and even the Romans considered this a sect of Judaism. Uh, so... We had Messianic Judaism all the way back in the first century. Right. So, but when you look at this, I mean, and we've said this before, that the early church, when we talk about church, this was a very Jewish audience. And the, the big struggle that they're trying to work through in the book of Acts is how do we bring the Gentiles in who seem to have the same apparent faith in Yeshua, in Jesus? What do we do with them? But over the years, um, there's been this separation that has occurred. Um, yeah. So, and this caveat that we want to really make from the get-go is our acknowledgement that historically, uh, the behavior of Christians does not really denote what a biblical Christian faith actually teaches. Um, and, and that... We know that there are Christians, we are friends with many Christians who love and care for the Jewish people. And I'd say probably what I've noticed, I don't know if you feel this, but most Christians are like, the, the, the majority of Christians out there are like unaware of that this is even an issue. Um, they're, yeah. you know, like, well, you're Jewish and I'm Christian, what's the big deal? If you want to be a Christian, great, then you can, you know, leave Judaism and now be a Christian. Yeah. It's like there's two sides of the coin. Uh, one side uh, of the coin looks at us as Jewish believers as uh, somebody who joined them. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, I remember when I was a brand new believer, you know, I was celebrated <laughs> as becoming a follower, a believer in Yeshua, Jesus, as a Messiah. Uh, probably given more... Uh, than I, sh I should have had or deserved, obviously. Um, but uh, it was such a big deal to have in the 1970s to have Jewish people uh, believing that Jesus was the Messiah and able to stand up and talk about it and teach about it. Yeah. So you know, while, while that first uh, kind of chunk of time uh, after that apostolic age, after the disciples have moved on, uh, we, we know and we recognize that there have been righteous Gentiles throughout history who have proactively 
sought out to love and protect their Jewish neighbors. Um, the fact also remains that for centuries, the, the Christian church has been complicit in some of the worst atrocities against the Jewish people. Uh, and sometimes that, that complicit behavior has come in the form of silence. But let's just walk through a couple of these stages throughout church history. And even in the early church fathers, um, we see some of this anti-Semitism, this hatred of the Jewish people show up. Yeah, I mean, and what's interesting as we, as we embark on this uh, path here is that, uh, you know, Gentiles did not really have a part of this uh, religious brotherhood, we might say, in the beginning. Uh, in fact, Paul describes them as those who do not know God, you know, in, in Thessalonians and in Ephesians. Uh, but soon, those who used to be outside of the covenant uh, displaced the physical, you know, sons of Abraham, and uh, they came in here, and that the displacement resulted in a lot of institutions and concepts of Israel being uh, kind of Hellenized by the Gentile church, as it was predominantly Gentile. Uh, so I think by the second half of the first century, uh, there were already Jewish-Gentile issues stirring up uh, in Rome, for example, which is why Paul had to write that letter and he had to address, address this. Uh, and by the second century, Jewish traditions and terminology uh, were soon Hellenized and anti-Judaism began to grow at that point. Now, and this is, maybe we should have started here, but we didn't, um, so it's too late for that. But the the reason this is so important is... I think, and I think you agree with me, is that a major obstacle or an objection to a Jewish person coming to faith, a major reason why Jewish people in general don't believe in Jesus. Now, there's a ton of different objections, a ton of different reasons why they don't believe in Jesus, but I would say that it is because of the history of the church or a posture towards the Jewish people coming from the church that has been a major stumbling block for the Jewish people to coming to faith. Yeah. That's, I, that's why this is important for us to have this conversation today. Yeah, yeah. I would say over the centuries, uh, that, is, that, that is a reality that Jewish people have had to uh, deal with, and, uh, and it has continued all the way up into our present day. And I would also say that I don't, I don't know if many Christians know that this history even exists. Yeah. Uh, Michael Brown, a great book, if you want to read it, is uh, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't think, some, some of the, just the hit points that we're going to hit real quickly, um, and we'll put a blog post out there too that will maybe give you a little bit more uh, in depth, but um, we're just going to hit these to maybe just get you thinking and, and stir some things, but um, the, these pieces uh, show up in history all throughout, and and they really lead to us where we are today. So uh, enough. That was a long preamble. Uh, let hit the hit the early church. Um, what, what's going on in the early church? Some of the church fathers and their posture towards the Jewish people. Yeah. Well, I mean, early on, uh, about I'd say 160 A.D., uh, you have the dialogue uh, with Trypho, a Jew. Mm -hmm where Justin Martyr uh, emphasizes that 
what was of old and had belonged to Israel was now the property of Christians. Yeah. Okay, so the Jewish scriptures uh, were a central part of this transference, you might say. And uh, you have Justin Martyr, a Gentile convert, tells Trifo that the Jewish scriptures are not yours but ours, basically, is what he's saying. This is as early as, as 160 A.D., um, yeah, and then, then you go into, you know, you can jump ahead a few centuries, 4th century of Constantine. He decrees Christianity is now the official religion of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, this newfound status grants Christians a certain level of power and privilege, and they would use this to persecute anybody who did not share their faith. So even simple things like Jews being banned from holding public office, uh, synagogues are destroyed, and now they are forced to convert to Christianity or die. Yeah, well, part part of the Council of Nicaea, which uh, met in 325, there was a decree that you may now build churches, but you may not build synagogues. Yeah. Um, the Jewish people were not permitted to dwell in Jerusalem or to seek converts. <laughs> it was considered a criminal offense to convert to Judaism. Yeah. And so you had, you had a lot of this, uh, you know, bad blood uh, getting created here. Um, and even uh, Ambrose, who was the bishop of Milan, praised the burning of a synagogue as an act that was pleasing to God. Uh, that was something that uh, was uh, written about by Marvin Wilson in his book, Our Father Abraham, which is a really good read also. Yeah. So what, what like even early on, what causes this anti-Semitism? Um, the, the main thing that really gets things started is the Jews were accused of deicide, the murder of God. What, what does that mean, and why is that important? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I remember uh, a young kid even trying to make my way home from grade school uh, being followed and tracked down by other kids in the neighborhood. And it was the first time I came across the idea, uh, or maybe I should say the accusation, uh, I was called a Christ killer. And I didn't even know what that meant at that early age and at that time. Uh, but it is the, uh, the accusation that the Jews are the ones who uh, killed Christ. Um, and responsible for the death of Jesus. Uh, never mind the fact that uh, the scriptures uh, all throughout the Tanakh, the Old Testament, talked about the fact that the Messiah would come and that he would suffer and he would die for the sins of Israel and not only Israel, but the whole world. Yeah, and you, you can see where this is really the birthplace of replacement theology, This the belief, and we've talked about this, that when the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, then they forfeited their status as God's chosen people. And so these early church fathers that show up, they use replacement theology to justify their mistreatment of the Jewish people. And they're, they're saying the Jews rejected Jesus, so they're no longer God's people. Christians are now the new Israel. And this would lay the groundwork for years and centuries of anti-Semitism. Yeah, th- this was a teaching of the church fathers that uh, there was Jewish collective guilt, and it was a perpetual curse of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to stick around there, or do you want to move over? I was thinking, next one I have is uh, the Crusades. Hmm. Or did you have more you wanted to fill in there? Well, no. I'm sure you have more. No, you that's okay. There's, there's so much yeah. in here. I mean, there, uh, there, there are 
things that we could talk about uh, by fellows who have written, and I like the fact that others have written this. This is not coming from us. This is coming from uh, people like Malcolm Hay, who I believe was Catholic. He wrote a book in 1981 called The Roots of Christian Antisemitism. So it's not coming, it's not something that's just coming from us. It's coming from, uh, you know, Gentiles who recognize this and have written about it. Uh, Edward Flannery also, I think he was a priest, a Catholic priest, um, and he wrote uh, The Anguish of the Jews. And, uh, you know, just to, just to say that, you know, we, we have uh, documentation from the Middle Ages that, uh, you know, we, we have people like Edward Flannery saying that while liberating the Holy Land from the Muslims and the infidels during the Crusades, they realized that there were Jewish infidels right under their, hmm. you know, noses. Yeah. And so they turned on them. That was about 1096 A.D. Yeah. So it, right there during the Crusades, you, you have even just the year before that, 1095, Pope Urban II, he calls for the First Crusade. His stated goal is to recapture Jerusalem uh, for, for Muslim control. But however, the Crusades were more about plunder and pillage than it being a religious, pious act. But during the Crusades, tens of thousands of Jews were killed or they were forced to convert to Christianity and accept Jesus during the Crusades. Homes and synagogues were destroyed. And this was a time where many Jews came to see Christianity as a violent and intolerant religion. Uh, you have fathers who were killed in front of their children, women and children were raped and slaughtered without uh, mercy. And so there, there was actually one uh, really gruesome incident. Uh, it took place in Mainz, Germany. And the Jewish community was given the choice of, can you imagine this, baptism or death? And when they chose death, they were herded into synagogues and burned alive. And this, this uh, event was known as the Rhineland Massacres. And it's just one example of violence and persecution the Jews faced during the Crusades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some pretty bad times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should say, though, that within the church leadership uh, at the time, which was Catholic at the time, basically, uh, there were some who were sympathetic to the plight of the Jewish people. And they sought to stop the mass murder of innocent Jewish men and women and children. Mm -hmm. uh, and among those uh, friends, say, quote, unquote, were Pope Innocent III and Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, Bernard was a, a monk who was very influential and known for his great love for God and man. So what did he think of the Jews? Um, this was one of the friends, he charged them with a stupidity, uh, bestial and more than bestial, because they did not follow the Lord. Uh, so, you know, there were some friends, that's why I put them in quotes, but uh, not total friends. Yeah. You know, the Crusades left uh, such a deep mark on the Jewish people that even to this day, there are even some Orthodox Jews who will not set foot in the Holy Land out of fear of they will be forced to convert. Um, if if I, when we were in California, uh, Greg Laurie would have something called the Harvest Crusades. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't invite a Jewish people, a Jewish person today to, hey, let's go to the crusade. Yeah. It, it's actually unfathomable to them 
that that there would be something like that where yeah. we bring people into a stadium yeah. so that they would convert um, yeah. and give their life over to Jesus. It, it, it's obviously more peaceful, docile today, but that stirs up all kinds of scars and yeah. wounds for the Jewish community. Yeah, Jew Jewish people have not been all that excited about crusades ever since those guys came to town with their long swords. Yeah. Well, not only that, but the Jerusalem cross. And, and that would be one of the things today, even why the yeah. cross is offensive to the Jewish people. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a look at Martin Luther. Um, now, Martin Luther deserves a chapter of his own in Jewish history. Um, He's a renowned theologian responsible for the Great Reformation of the 16th century. Um, and, and in the beginning, things between Martin Luther and the Jewish people were not all that bad, right? No, no not, not at all. Uh, in fact, uh, we find Luther to be very favorable toward the Jewish people, uh, writing in his... Uh, book that Jesus Christ was born a Jew, he writes how the Catholic Church had treated the Jews so poorly. And uh, in his writing, he says, if the apostles, who also were Jews, had dealt with us Gentiles as we Gentiles deal with the Jews, there would never have been a Christian among the Gentiles. Hmm. We, in our turn, ought to treat the Jews in a brotherly manner in order that we might convert some of them. We are but Gentiles, while the Jews are of the lineage of Christ. We are aliens and in-laws. They are blood relatives, cousins, and brothers of our Lord, end quote. Wow. That's great. That's a great apologetic. That, that would be fantastic yeah. if everybody would just do that today. <laughs> That's right. We wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. Um, so he nails it there. And then he gets towards the end of his life and frustration is yeah. built up. About 20 years later. 20 years later. He's, this is about, what, three, four years before he about dies? About three years before uh, he dies. And now things have switched a little bit. Yeah, he's in poor health. Yeah. I don't know if uh, some, something affected his mind or he's just frustrated or a combination of both. Yeah. Um, but he obviously had not had the success that he hoped for in quote unquote converting the Jews. Right. You know, we say that that's his language. Uh, our understanding is that as Jewish people, we don't convert, meaning we don't stop being who we are. We convert, we turn from our sin, but we're still Jewish. But he is now responding in a completely different way. Yeah, he, put, he puts out a book called On the Jews and Their Lies, and he calls for, in this book, the, the persecution of the Jews. He argues that synagogues should be burned down. He says homes should be destroyed. He says the Jews should be banned from public office. Uh, there's a quote from the book. It says, we are at fault in not slaying them. I would he not hesitate to exterminate them like mad dogs, for I am certain that they cannot otherwise than be otherwise than damned. They are devils, damnable, and the synagogue of Satan. Yeah. A lot's yeah. changed in 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, all of that was the direct result of a false theology that helped fuel the fire of deadly actions that the Nazis and Hitler 
were obviously not true Christians. However, it was centuries of Christian anti-Semitism in Europe that helped make the Holocaust. Yeah. Another part of his book, he says, if they could kill us all, they would gladly do so. Talking about the Jews. Let me give you my advice. First, set fire to their synagogues or schools or banish them from the country. Their possessions and money must be taken from them. And if this does not help, we must drive them out like mad dogs. And so this goes over. And and though he never did that, uh, I believe that Hitler picked up where Luther left off. If uh, I'm even like, even as I read that line, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about walking through the Holocaust Memorial at Yad Vashem. You see the piles oh, of God. the shoes. You see yeah. the jewelry. You see all of this oh, stuff. It's, uh, the piling, right? Piling the Jews into the synagogues and locking the doors and burning them down. Yeah. You know, Hitler's picking up on that. And despite the good that comes from the Reformation. The emphasis on personal faith, Bible study, it also unleashes this dark side of Christian hatred that would really have devastating consequences for the Jewish people. Yeah, well, and, you know, we can go back and we can document these things as well. For example, in 1941, there was a Nazi leader named Julius Stryker. I don't know if any of you folks have heard of that name. He was one of Hitler's top henchmen, and he was the publisher of the anti-Semitic Der Sturmer, uh, which adopted the same language uh, when he recommended the extermination of that people whose father is the devil. Um, And it was interesting that during the Nuremberg uh, trials, Stryker was asked if there were any other publications in Germany that treated the Jewish question in an anti-Semitic way. And this is what he said, Hmm. quote, Dr. Martin Luther would very probably sit in my place in the defendant's dock today if this book had been taken into consideration by the prosecution. In the book, The Jews and Their Lies, Dr. Martin Luther writes that the Jews are a serpent's brood and one should burn down their synagogues and destroy them. Wow. That that was cited in Michael Brown's book, uh, Revolution in the Church. Um, Challenging the religious system with a call for radical change. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's interesting because you and I, we look at the evil of the Nazis, we think that there's no way that these folks were were true Christians. Uh, But the sad reality is that many of them saw themselves as doing God's work, Uh, that they were simply just following in the footsteps of Martin Luther and Christian leaders calling for the extermination of, of the Jews. The Nazis were simply those who took those words and put them into action. And so in the mind of the Jewish people, even today, Christianity equals Nazis. They would see yeah. the Nazis as those who went to church on Sunday morning and then went to and showed up at the concentration camps on Monday. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I remember. I don't, I don't know how accurate this is, but I, I would think it is probably pretty accurate in uh, Spielberg's uh, movie um, on the Schindler's Holocaust. List. What, what was the name? Schindler's of it? List. Yeah, Schindler's List. That. Down in the concentration camps were all of the Jewish people down there and others. And up on the hill, there was a house during Christmas where the Nazis were celebrating with a Christmas tree and singing the Christmas carols and all of that. And what else would the Jewish people think of what was taking place during that time? And yet, God had his witnesses in the camp as well, uh, those like 
Corey Tenboom and right. her family and uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so, uh, you know, there were a number of Jews who actually came to faith in those concentration camps, but it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't balance out the tremendous loss that took place. Yeah. Well, in the aftermath of the Holocaust, you, you have many Jewish people. They come to see Christianity overall as a dangerous and hateful religion. You can see why, if this is what you're going through, if this is your firsthand experience. Uh, and, and really, the Jewish mindset is you're never safe. After the Holocaust uh, and, and the emergence of the nation of Israel, there was a mass exodus of Jews from Europe to the Holy Land. And Israel would always be the only place, and still today, the only place where they would ever feel truly safe. Um, but the Holocaust is a reminder for us that that words matter. When we use our words to demonize and dehumanize others, that we can create an environment where violence and hatred can flourish. Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting that things uh, toward the end of the 20th century, um, there were those who stood up and wrote, uh, and you know I'm even surprised that uh, some of them came out of the Catholic Church. Like for example, I already mentioned Father Edward Flannery, who was a respected historian and he was an opponent of anti-Semitism. He wrote in 1985 in his book. The Anguish of the Jews, listen to this. This is uh, a great quote. Uh, he says, the vast majority of Christians, even well-educated, are all but totally ignorant of what happened to the Jews in history hmm. and of the culpable involvement of the church. It is little exaggeration to state that those pages of history Jews have committed to memory are the very ones that have been torn from Christian and secular history books, end Ooh. quote. Ooh, that's good. That's an amazing, uh, you know, understanding that he he brings to the table with all of this. Yeah, hit the 30-second rewind on that one on the podcast. You can hear that one again. Um, you know, if only this were a historical issue, right? Um, we, we can look at the world today and anti-Semitism is on the rise. We, what we've really talked about up until this point is what, what I would call the old anti-Semitism. Um, but unfortunately, there is a new anti-Semitism. It's flourishing. Um, we know that there are, there are nations throughout the Middle East who obviously hate Israel and hate the Jewish people, but we see this going on in Europe, and we actually see it alive and well even in America today. Uh, you know, and the things that we've been talking about are really just a small sampling of what has been out there. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I, I realize it's difficult for most people to even understand why anti-Semitism exists, you know, considering all of the hatreds in the world. Uh, it is unique in a number of ways, and just... You know, we can't go over all of those things, obviously, in a single podcast, but another really good resource is, again, by Michael Brown, uh, What Do Jewish People Think About Jesus? He wrote that in 2007. Um, and in that, he says, anti-Semitism is the most widespread hatred, the most vicious hatred, the most irrational hatred, and it is the longest hatred of all time. It goes back at least 2,300 years. Wow. Look at you pulling out all the good quotes. You've been holding on. I didn't even know you had all these quotes here going on today. You're just like, you're keeping them you back know, there. 
this this is the stuff that I uh, squirrel I, away. I, I I gave when I was doing my graduate work at Talbot also, because um, I had to give the Jewish side of all of this. Yeah. Well, yeah. You see, you see synagogue shootings. Um, we, we see video and crime obviously in America right now is rampant, but you see this, like you've seen this on the news, right? You have Jews walking down the street in New York, yeah. uh, right? And they, they have their talit or their payas, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the long sideburns, right? Yeah. They're walking down the street and then people are just coming up and they're, they're pummeling them yeah. for, and, and I know that crime right now is just, it's, it, it's hitting everybody, right? You, there, there, there's no blinders on anybody's eyes, but. But really, the Jewish people um, are being hit, and then you have things like Kanye, Kanye West, now now known as Ye West, right? Yeah. Um, who says he's a Christian, loves Jesus, and you know, there's some things uh, the half of his mouth is saying. It's like, wow, look at this guy, and then the other half, then he goes on this rampage, and he's talking about how the Jews are, you know, the problem for everything, and and these are always the things that come out, right? This it's the same rhetoric that has been used against the Jewish people for centuries. Sometimes it's disguised as a criticism of Israel, but make no mistake, it's all a hatred against the Jews. It's all rooted in hate. And if well, we go ahead, well, we've been talking about you know classic or historical anti-Semitism is right. what really what we've been talking about and trying to bring it up into our current. We have a, a new anti-Semitism that was, you know, in the mid-60s up to today, and then an eschatological anti-Semitism uh, from today to the second coming. Yeah. And uh, this is uh, what we're, you know, what we, we can't get it all in, but uh, just to encapsulate, uh, you know, the new anti-Semitism, people thought after World War II that it went away, but it only went dormant for about 20 years, from about 1945 to about 1965. Mm. And uh, it actually morphed into a new anti-Semitism that takes us from the mid-60s up to where we are today. And the shift in the mid-60s was when this guy named Arafat began a process of turning Jews from persecuted to persecutors. That's right. You know, and so we had new borders uh, that were not contained to Europe, new methodology, uh, new source. Uh, and then we have eschatological anti-Semitism from today to the second coming. Yeah. It, it influences even just how we live today. Uh, it influences how we do what we do. Like you used to go to New York every single year, go out there, reach out to the Jewish people out there on the streets. Um, and, and that's still our heart. We still want to be able to do that. But there's such a violence and a crime, but even uh, against the Jewish people there, that it's curtailed some of that. Uh, we've talked about, do we want to, like we even talked about, like, should we should we get some uh, merch, you know, some uh, merchandise here for the Jewish road? You know, get like a shirt or a hat. We're thinking like, well, number one, nobody would buy it except yeah. for, you know, <laughs> us and maybe our kids if we force them to wear it. But we also thought, like, I don't want to be a target. I don't yeah. want to go out there and, you know, you, you wear a, a hat on there that says, yeah. hey, we're Jewish. Yeah. Um, it, it makes you it makes you a target. We yeah. don't want to. Well, I, I remember uh, just a couple of years ago, I was back in New York. I was in Brooklyn and uh, we had a big rally right there on the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, we had shirts that said, stop the hatred mm. and stop the anti-Semitism. Uh, that was just a few years ago. We could do that then. But I don't know if uh, we would be 
you know, as safe doing that today. And, you know, it's not like we're trying to run away from, uh, you know, from taking a stand. But uh, on the other hand, uh, you don't want to do anything dumb. I mean, even Paul, uh, you know, used uh, the resources that he had to get himself out of the direct line of fire. Yeah. All right, so let's say you're a Christian, you're listening to all of this, maybe some of your, your, your eyes have been opened for the first time, you're like, wow, I didn't really know that there was all of this going on. Um, what can Christians, what can the church do today to help repair some of this rupture and really make that first steps towards the Jewish people to help remove that obstacle of hatred so that, so that, the Jewish people might come to faith in Jesus? Yeah, well, I think that one of the keys is for Christians to really have a solid understanding of Israel in the plan of God. Yeah. Uh, it's just a necessary component because God is not finished with Israel. Um, this has been a fallacy within a large part of the church for centuries that uh, God has finished with Israel and now that the church is the new Israel. Uh, and yet uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. And as we see things ramping up uh, in these days currently uh, to where we are heading toward uh, a one world government, a one world system, uh, listen, when this fellow and the jewish people are looking for a messiah right yep uh, they're they're looking for somebody to solve the problems and they're going to be looking for somebody even more so to solve the problems as the world's uh you know intentions intensify against israel and against the jewish people and there's going to be a person who's going to rise up uh the bible calls him the antichrist um but israel is going to see him as a messiah and this is not somebody who's going to rule a nation, but he's going to rule the world. And that's what they're heading toward is a one world government, a one world economic system. Uh, we can see, you know, the beginnings of this as we're having a run up toward this kind of thing right now with the decline of the United States as a superpower, with the uh, World Economic Forum wanting to put in place uh, a digital currency uh, with ESG. They'll be able to track your social life and spending, all of these things. So I think, the, I think a major thing is to not be fooled by these things that are taking place in the world now and to stand for the Lord and to stand for his people that we have from the beginning been sharing concerning that... Uh, the first believers were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. These are his brethren um, standing with them. That is an important facet of, uh, of being a friend to Israel and to the Jewish people. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, people look at our actions and how we live and what we do uh, more than listening to our words. Boy, you almost got wound up. Yeah, I saw you going down. You, you're yeah, like, just, well, you man, know, you can see all, I, all you wanted. To I just, cut it short. Yeah, you did. That if you only knew, friends, the the self control that he just 
put on because he wants to. He he just desperately wants to talk about the end of the world. It's just it's what well, he. Well, we didn't even get into eschatological oh, anti-Semitism. I, I know. I just boy, you could do a whole podcast, not just a podcast episode, a whole separate podcast. Yeah. I'll just put you in a room with a microphone <laughs> and a small candlelight and some bagels and. I'll check on you every week and see how you're doing, but you'll still be talking about it. It's that your... sounds like a deal. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. So I, yeah, here, here's where I'll land it is I heard you say to stand up for the Jewish people, and I would also say to stand with the yeah. Jewish people. Uh, reject, reject anti-Semitism within our own ranks. Um, build relationships of trust and respect with Jewish friends and neighbors. Uh, this is not an overnight thing. It's essential, though, if we're going to have any hope of sharing the gospel with them. Uh, make an effort to restore the Jewishness of the gospel and the Jewishness of Jesus, not just for the Jewish people themselves, but even for the enrichment of your faith. And then be ready to talk about some of these difficult issues raised by the Holocaust and other dark episodes in Christian history as they relate to Jewish history. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's one of your thing, the things that you said, uh, putting it in a context. And, you know, I've, I've said it before, but one of the major issues before I even seriously considered Jesus as the Messiah was the fact that prior to that time, I really did not have access to the Jewish Jesus. Yeah. And that is an important facet, I think, uh, for Christians to uh, be able to relate and give to the Jewish people access to their Jewish Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. And really the only access they might have is through a a Christian, through a believer, right? Yeah. So take them down that Jewish road. Hey. There you go. That is a great place for us to stop and end. Uh, You know what? We're going to talk about this more, though. And not just us, but we have a very special friend, and we're calling them out right now, Olivier Melnick, uh, way down there in the south, Texas. Um, We're going to get him on. He is an expert in this area, uh, has written, done conferences, all kinds of stuff. Olivier, we're coming for you. We're coming after you, Olivier. That's right. We're going to get you on the podcast, and you will love him. Um, He has a French accent because he's from France. Um, so we'll also provide translation services. I'm just kidding. He's, he's wonderful. You'll be able to hear the whole thing. So um, we'll, we'll do that and we'll talk more about this. But in the meantime, uh, check out, we're going to be posting a blog that goes along with this where we'll give you a little bit more deep dive and more information, some links and resources on all of that. But thank you for listening. And until next time, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. That means pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There you go. Shalom. Shalom.